So in the text that we just read, there's this amazing moment where Jesus literally draws a line in the sand, both literally and figuratively, where he's speaking to his disciples and the crowd that's gathered around him. It's just at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus looks them in the eyes and he says, let me explain to you something about what it means to follow me. And he gives this incredible analogy of two houses. Both houses were very similar to each other, built very similar. But the one difference between the two houses was what? Their foundation. It was the part of the house that you don't even see. And he says, you want to live for me? You want to live a life that I've called you to live? He says, then listen to my words and put them into practice. Because if you do that, when the storms hit you, you're going to make it. It might not be easy, but you're going to make it. And those of you who hear these words of mine that I'm sharing with you, and you ignore them, and you do not put them into practice, you don't put them into action, you're like a house, and the storms hit, and the house crumbles. And I love this passage, but it also works me over every time I read it, and maybe it does for you too, because literally Jesus is calling not just the people he's talking to, but also us as a church out in the way that he expects us to live our lives. You know, back when Jesus was sharing this, he wasn't just giving an example how to build a house. He, he, was sharing, he was sharing something that was very relevant to the people that they were speaking with. Where he was sharing this story was at the Sea of Galilee. And at the Sea of Galilee, there's sand everywhere. And during the hot summer months, the sand became very hard. And a lot of times what people would do is they would build things on this hard sand feeling like, well, this is a good enough foundation. And the problem was, as we know, is that eventually when sand, the, the sand was hard because of the heat, eventually what would happen is, is the Jordan River would flood. In the winter months, there would be lots of rain and different things like that. And that, sa that sand that seemed like a solid foundation, that sand that seemed like a solid footing would crumble and fall apart. And whatever is built on it would also fall apart. And Jesus was also reminding them that, hey, if you want to follow me, don't be lazy and just build your house on sand that's not going to last, sand that's not a good foundation. Dig down deep. Because about 10 feet below the ground around the Sea of Galilee was where the bedrock was. 10 feet down below the ground was the place where you could literally build your house on a solid foundation. And no matter what hit your house, your house was going to make it. It was going to be okay. It would be difficult, but it was going to make it. And as we think about the lives that you and I live, as we think about the lives that God has called us to live, the life that he calls us to live is not a life that just rushes through and hurries through things and just builds on whatever is right in front of us, but we take our time and we dig down deep. You know, as a covenant church, the question that we love to ask is, where is it written? Why? Because we believe that God's word was given to us to build a foundation around, that our lives were made to build a foundation in him, not in, in sand that didn't have much of a foundation, but uh, uh, attaching our lives to him. And so this morning, I just want to briefly just mention a couple thoughts for us to think about. Um, and in a moment here, um, Maggie Pivovar, who's one of our own, who's, who's a part of our church, is actually going to get up and share her story, which is going to be really, really significant. But more than anything, I want you to hear this morning about what it means for us to have a foundation built in Jesus Christ. A foundation because the reality is, is that all of us in life are going to have storms hit us. 
In this story, the storm didn't just hit the house with a weak foundation, did it? No, it also hit the house with a solid foundation. And so this morning, I want us to actually answer two questions. The first is, how do I build a solid foundation with my life? What does it look like for you and I to dig down deep to the places that nobody can even see, that only God can see, and build this foundation in him. So what does it look like for us to build a foundation in him? And at the end of the service, I actually want to come back and talk about three benefits that I think all of us um, can have if we build a solid foundation in Christ. But the first question I want us to answer in the next couple minutes before Maggie comes up, how do you and I no matter where you are, no matter how often you come to church, whether this is your first time or you've grown up in the church, you're 90 years old and we're celebrating your birthday, Bonnie Dickinson, today and Bill Rydell. Whoever you are, no matter where you've come, I want us to just anchor in and ask the question, how do we build a solid foundation? And I would say two things. Number one is that we need to be hearers of the word. We need to take God's word into our life. It needs to be the foundation of our life, and we need to hear it. We need, we need to be in places. That's, that's why it's so beautiful to be in a church where, where Scripture is held so highly that we even stand for it. That's how much respect we have for it. That when you and I live our lives, we put ourselves in a position where we hear God's word. We take it in whether that's reading scripture in church, whether it's just being alone with just you and me and Jesus and whatever it means, being in a small group, being in an adult community, whatever it is, we put ourselves in a position where we can build our foundation by hearing God's word. You know, as Pastor Mark has mentioned before, studies over and over and over again come back to the reality that, that the number one way that people grow in their faith is just by hearing God's word. It's active, right? It's living, and we need to take it in. But the reality, too, is that in this text, not only does Jesus say, those of you who hear these words of mine, but he also says, if you want to have a solid foundation, those of you who hear these words of mine, and what? Put them into practice. You are like a house with a solid foundation. You know, the purpose of Scripture is not just to inform us on how to live. The purpose of Scripture is also to do what? To transform how we live. So that when we... Listen to the word. It gets a hold of us, and it helps us to live our lives in such a way where it transforms everything about who we are as people. I love what James chapter 1 says, verses 23 through 25. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Man, if I could pray a prayer over us as a church, it would be that we would be known as people that gaze into Scripture, that read it, that take it in, and it's almost like it's breathing, where we breathe it into our life, and then when we exhale, exhale, it's as if we're saying, God, I'm going to go live this out into the world. We breathe it in, and we take it out to the world that God calls us to live in. I love what Francis Chan said once. He says this, the problem in the church isn't that we haven't heard enough. It's that we haven't acted on what we've heard. Imagine I tell my son to clean his room. He says, you want me to clean my room? Got it. I come back later and find that he hasn't cleaned his room. I ask, why haven't you cleaned your room? He says, I heard you tell me to clean my room. I love that bit of your word to me. 
I've memorized it, and I've meditated on it. My sister and I have been meeting and discussing what it might look like to clean my room. I feel like I'm growing here. (laughs) And yet, how often is that true in our lives? We're not here to go through the motions, are we? We don't want to be a place that's known as someone that just takes it in but then doesn't go breathe it out and live it out in the world that God has called us to live. I really think, and please hear me when I say this, I think that Satan is overjoyed when you and I come to church and we take in God's word and we do nothing about it because he, he, he convinces us that that's all you gotta do, just take it in. God says, those of you who hear these words of mine and put them into practice, and put them into practice. That is what he has called us to do. Maggie Pivovar is going to share in just a moment um, with us this morning, like I said. And I think Maggie is just this incredible example. She would tell you, um, she'd be the first to tell you that she's not the perfect example. There's only one, right? Sorry, Maggie. But, but Maggie is this incredible example, I think, of someone who has built her foundation in Christ. And the storms have certainly hit her life. And in a moment, you're going to see a video that kind of explains that. And you're going to hear the words from Maggie about the storms that hit her life. But storms are going to hit all our lives. And I think Maggie is a great example of someone that when the storms hit, she was able to make it through the storms. She was able to be a person that when the storms hit and and they beat against her life, because of her foundation in Christ, she didn't tumble. She didn't fall but she lived a life that points people to Jesus. May that be true for Maggie's life as she continues to live her life, and may that be true for us. We're going to watch a video that's going to kind of tell you a little bit about our story, and then Maggie's going to get up and give us a little bit more detail. But I'm going to pray for us as we continue. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for the words that you shared with us from Matthew 7. Lord, you literally called us out, and you told us, do not just be people that hear the word, And leave it at that. Lord, you called us to be people to hear the word and go live it out. God, as we hear from Maggie, Lord, I pray that you would speak through this video. God, I pray that you would speak through her life. And God, that I pray that it would inspire every one of us not to be more like Maggie, but Lord Jesus, to be more like you, our creator and our father. We pray this all in your name. Amen. about it because I had already had a history with God and I knew that in some situations there are things that you walk through that you don't want to walk through Um, but just knowing that he's with you there is such a peace with that and so when I knew that that prayer wasn't answered I wasn't angry at God and part of that was because I was familiar with Job 
and the story of Job, and that all of those things that got taken away from him, um, his family, his land, everything he owned in his life was utterly destroyed, and Satan wanted him to curse God, and he refused to do that. And I never did curse God during the entire thing. I had periods of anger and depression and extreme difficulty, but that was the one thing that I wouldn't do. get home and you would think I would continue to rely on God to help me care for her and that's not what happened. Um, I got angry, I got bitter and so instead of turning to God, I thought I could try to control everything, right? Being a guy, I got the answers. I know how to solve this problem and in that, looking back, that was a bad that was a bad strategy because it didn't work. I think that's something my parents stressed kind of through the whole situation. Look what he can do through a situation this bad. Right. Um, look what he can do through like the lives of other people in your family. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be that trust and that look forward of, um, of how God's gonna use it because yeah. he always will. I would give him pieces of my life before, whether it's my finances, um, when I had cancer, gave him my health, can you take care of this? But I'd never really given him all of it. Mm-hmm. I think I thought I had. Mm-hmm. I think I thought I had, but I really hadn't. And now he really does have all of it. And the fact that I'm here and I was not supposed to be here, mm-hmm. I want to make, he gave me this incredible gift by allowing me to be the mother of my children. and. I want nothing more than to please him and to follow him and just do what he says. My story is different than someone else's, but he works through people's hardships and their stories, but you have to give him the keys. You have to say, okay. And for me, you know, I begged for help to get out of that place I was in. And he was like, yeah, he gave me a rope. Good morning. If you and I were meeting each other for the first time, or even the fifth, and I did not have a skirt on, it would not be immediately evident what God had done in my life, that he swept up these shattered pieces of what was left of me, that he transformed them into something new, as he gingerly rearranged each piece in a brand new order. He made me whole and wonderful, without cracks and without missing pieces. God heard our prayers during this challenging time of life, and he answered us, but it was not in the way that we expected. We rejoiced when he said yes, and we cried when he said no, and we impatiently questioned when he said wait. 
It was a choice to follow him blindly through a time of utter devastation. The work of God's hands, God's hands, I've learned, is beyond our imaginations and beyond words. And in order to see it, it required me and it requires you to choose him, to yield to his hands and his power and his love through trust and faith and perseverance wherever he leads us. I'm going to be sharing some verses this morning, mostly from the first chapter of James. In James 1, 2 to 3, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. As a Christian, have you ever been walking through difficulty and that ever so helpful acquaintance of yours tells you, lovingly, you just need to have more faith. How does that feel? I know sometimes when they're in the midst of the storm, all we can do, those aren't the words we need to hear at the moment. We may just shake our head and walk away knowing that they truly don't understand what we're going through. When I was in the middle of this huge storm, if someone looked me in the eye and patted me on the shoulder, in my situation and said, consider this pure joy, I think my first thought would have been to punch him in the face. (laughs) Trials hit us at home in relationships with health. They hit all of us, and some of us have had more than our fair share. Was being joyful the first thing that you considered when you were going through something difficult? I know I wasn't. This was a journey I didn't sign up for. I was really feeling hopeless and uncertain and full of doubt most of the time. I was wondering where I was headed and what my life was going to look like, what I was going to be able to do. And yet I was a Christian. I did know the Lord. He had already taken me through Hodgkin's lymphoma 10 years before, and he had allowed me to live, to be the mother of my then two children, Mitchell and Blaze. I didn't doubt his presence, but I still struggled. This was bigger than anything that I had ever gone through before. But those promises, those things that he had done for me throughout my life, kept coming back and reminding me. For example, um, the miracle of my last two children, um, Ben and Grant, miracles that the doctor said would never happen. I could look back on that when I was going through this trial and say, yes, God was there. But I still wanted to know the answers, and I wanted to know a date of when was I going to be okay? When was I going to be able to walk my son into school? When was I going to be able to stand at the counter again and make a peanut butter sandwich? All of those simple things we take for granted. A date when all that physical pain and emotional pain and the loss would stop. A date when the clouds would part and I would stand in a place of joy and beam an incredible smile. I didn't ever get that date. I never knew when, but God did. As we read before, James uses all of these words in James 1, 2 to 3. Trials, joy, testing, faith, and perseverance. I was all too familiar with the first three out of those five, trials, testing, and faith, and I would discover the other two much later. I trusted him as he swept up those broken pieces of me, but he was doing most of the work in secret. 
I couldn't see what he was doing, and I had to wait. During that time, he heard every cry, and he collected every tear. But he didn't take it away. Even when I pleaded, he didn't take it away. He knew the things that needed to happen to make me whole and well and recreated for a new purpose. So I hung on. In James 1.12, goes on to say, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. If we keep our eyes on him, no matter what the cost, and sometimes with absolutely blind faith, we will be rewarded. This morning, you will hear a very abbreviated story of the story God wrote with his pen on my heart. I do not own it, and it doesn't belong to me. But I hope these words are what he intends for you to hear and apply to your story. Bacterial meningitis is a very rare illness, and it often causes death within 24 hours. I entered the emergency room at Shiny Mission Hospital only being sick 20 hours. But you know what? God was there from the very beginning. When I was at home and laying on the couch completely confused, not even knowing that I was in a medical emergency, I got one moment of clarity, and that's it. I had one moment of clarity when a voice said, wake up, John. If I hadn't listened to that voice, the doctor said later, my boys would have found me on the couch in the morning. God was there when we got to Shawnee Mission Medical Center. Dr. David Hightower, a Christian, was getting ready to go home after a very long overnight shift. He was exhausted. But God placed me into his compassionate hands. He was there for a reason. He knew what I had immediately before he did any tests. And I think that was the Holy Spirit telling him. He knew what he had to do to save me, and he asked my husband, do you trust me? For this meant going against protocols. Then he stayed an extra nine hours to make sure the right things were done. So I was placed into a medically induced coma. She saw in the pictures on a ventilator. My family was told if, if I did wake up, I could be blind and deaf, severely brain damaged. I could lose my ear, my nose, my arms here, and my legs here. So first I was given 30 minutes to live and then a 98% chance to die. My son, Blaze, at nine years old, said, I will take my mom any way I can have her. The rash from meningitis caused tissue death like a burn, and every ounce of my strength was gone. I was transferred to KU Medical Center. I couldn't turn over, I couldn't raise my arms, or speak, or move my feet. But I was already blessed because I had my hands, and my eyes, and my hearing and that was not taken away. God said yes to my life here on earth, yes to every single prayer request at a prayer service done at Heartland Community Church. I have that paper, and every single prayer on that list was answered yes. One day my sister Kathleen stood on my left, and she asked me what I wanted prayers for, and I was newly awake and unable to move and barely speak, and she leaned down to hear what I was saying, and I said, would you please ask everyone to pray for my legs? I need them to be a mom. Dr. Corentager came in some days later and explained that I had a decision to make. 
that I could either leave the legs as they are and risk the gangrene taking my life, or I could have my legs amputated eight inches below the knee. God wanted me to live, but he said no. He said no to that one prayer that I wanted. So what then? Would I curse him because he took something that was precious to me? Nope. He's God, and he is more precious to me than my flesh. I had to say yes to his no, and I know some of you in this room have had to do that too. To say yes to his no, that is not easy. So God said no to keeping that physical part of me that I thought I needed to live, that, that part of me that danced with my husband on our wedding night, that, that part of me that I would hug and hold my children and cradle them and carry them around the house. Meningitis also caused brain damage, and God said no to having the same cognitive abilities as I had before. I chose life and I chose my family, and I thought, God, I know you are with me, and you will never, ever leave me. That was the one constant I had throughout all of my recovery. I handed over my legs and said, as long as it takes, I will endure the pain, as long as it lasted, I will endure the loss of my whole life as I know it, and I will say yes to an uncertain future. Nothing I said, nothing, I had to say yes to learning how to do every single task in my life a different way through tears of frustration and sadness and profound loss. I said yes to never looking the same again, never jumping out of bed in the morning. I said yes to a brain that didn't work right and couldn't remember many things or do the things that it used to. So I said yes to God to recreate me into something new. I looked different, and for a long time I wanted to hide, but God learned to embrace what he created in me because I realized everything God created is good. At home, I had four little sets of eyes looking on me and counting on me when I came home, and I came home a different mom than the mom that left. I was not the same. And everybody struggled and everybody dealt with that a different way. But you know what? God gave me a beautiful gift. A KU student named Lindsay Blodgett. She became my hands and my feet, my eyes and my ears. She filled in every gap. She had patience no, what, no matter what my voice threw at her, and they threw a lot of stuff her way. Lindsay loved them, and she was a precious, precious gift from the Lord until I could resume my role. This recovery was blinding in terms of the physical pain, but also frustration and difficulty, and I found myself in a dark place of suffering. I was lost and alone, even though I was surrounded by people. Have you ever felt that way? I can guess probably a lot of you have. There was no doctor that could fix it, and not even the closest friend or family member could take it away or understand. On the darkest of all days, I was laying on the couch, and I was alone, and I was utterly devastated into a sobbing heap. I didn't even know if I could go on. All of a sudden, I heard music playing. From across the room, my iPod that was sitting on the docking station turned itself on. It played only one song, and it was a song I was unfamiliar with. A lot of people had loaded music onto my iPod when I was in the hospital, and they would play that for me when I was in the coma. Josh Groban's You Raised Me Up filled my spirit and my ears. I was unfamiliar with that song. 
but I know that God sent that song to me. The melody and the words comforted me, and I felt this incredible, amazing comfort and peace. I would return to that moment over and over and over when I felt helpless and I felt lost. And there were so many moments that God had I don't have time to share today that he uplifted and he encouraged me and he helped me hang on. He also gave me a vision and a picture to understand. So in this, in this vision, I am laying in this dark, damp, wet hole in the ground. And I'm hanging my head. I'm wearing a white dress. And I'm utterly just devastated and alone. And I raise my eyes, and I see a yellow light. And I keep looking at it up above, and it, it grows bigger and bigger until it shone warm on my face. I didn't dare move, and then I saw God's hand, and it reached down to me, and I reached my hand to his. Then he lowered down a ladder to me, all the way down to the floor, and he beckoned me to climb, and I said yes to that climbing. I knew he was my only way out. In James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I needed his guidance and his wisdom, and he gave it, and I believed. And he provided all the tools I needed, but he didn't do it for me. He gave me his word, people that are here today that are too numerous to name, his guidance, but it was up to me to use the tools he gave me to get out of the hole. But you know, even as Christians, we can stay in a hole like this. It's pretty easy to get comfortable there and to learn to live in it, but there is no joy there and there is no life. And that is not what God wants for us. We have to choose whether to get up and climb or to stay there and make it our home. Even though God gave me the ladder, climbing took years. It took me years to walk well and to be comfortable around people and to make sense about the way my brain was going to work. And the waiting he asked me to do was hard and painful, but I just had to endure it. And it took years for my family to all come to terms with what had happened. But in the midst of waiting, he blessed us over and over again, and every one of those blessings was a gift. In James 1.16 we read, every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And I'm so thankful my eyes were open to see those gifts. If our eyes are closed, we miss all those wonderful things he's doing in the midst of our struggles. God continued to be there. God was there when we told my prostheses to walk would cost $22,000 and insurance was only going to pay $2,500. Maggie's walk raised over and above that amount so I could walk. But the first pair tore my skin and blistered, caused blisters, and I sank into a deep depression thinking, this is it, this is my life and my future, to walk like this every day. But waiting turned into something great. God gave me a lot of doors to walk through during my recovery, and one of them was to a clinic in Florida. We went there completely blind, not even knowing what we were walking ourselves into, but it was an opportunity that knocked on our door. When he gives us doors, it's up to us to walk through them. He only gave me enough light to see the step I was on, but Stan and his team, they transformed my life. 
and in two weeks I had these great looking legs that were comfortable to wear. No more canes, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs. They were gone and done and donated. And the joy in the sun began breaking through the clouds. There's a lot of things that happened along the way. Um, in one moment in particular, I'd like to share uh, a story of joy in, in, the, in the midst of a difficult trip, you know, when they're, they're trying to make your legs and get them right. So uh, my sister was with me because, of course, when my legs are off, I can't drive a car. So she came with me to be my chauffeur. And one day, um, we had gone to Target, and we were coming back to the hotel, and there were people walking about, and she was pushing me, and all of a sudden, the wheelchair stopped. But I didn't, and I went flying out of the chair onto the concrete, and we caused quite the scene. Um, feeling quite the shock, it took a bit to register, and I looked at her upside down, and she looked at me. I didn't know for a minute what I was going to do to her. <laughs> then she told me it was my fault. And be thankful, because that pile of stuff we bought at Target cushioned my fall. We gave thanks to Target and then made a scene ourselves for the next 15 minutes. We could not stop laughing. And joy, the joy James spoke of doesn't have to come when the pain is over. It can come in the middle of it. It's not a single act to walk either, and it's a process. And many of you have gone through health challenges, and you know that getting well is a process. So I fell down a lot, and I had to keep getting up. But... Very soon, I could hold my son's hand and walk him into school, and I could drive a car, and I could stand at the counter and make lunch, and it was one step at a time, one goal at a time, hundreds of times over, and every moment there was joy at the ability to do something new. This is what James is talking about when he talks about perseverance. In James 1.4, he says, let perseverance finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It can take a lot of work and perseverance to be complete. God said yes to my life. He said no to my real legs, but he replaced them with something wonderful. I waited while he worked on me from the inside out, and God is incredible. I can even haul a 40-pound bag of dog food out of my car and into the house with these things. In 2014, I was in the group of, first group of amputees to ever summit the Grand in the Grand Tetons, something I never thought I could do. I was healed, but it didn't look how I expected it to. I thought I needed a whole physical body and a much better brain to be healed, but I didn't. I don't need him to take away every ache and pain. I don't need to, for him to take away all the complications I still have. I don't need my brain to be perfect because God is bigger. He did this for me, and I'm not any different than you. God is good when he says no, and he is good when he says yes, and he is still good when he says wait. Even when he says no, there is another way out. And it may not be like anything you expected. I never thought I would be on top of a mountain, that's for sure. James 5.10 we read, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered, and you have heard Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Life is never perfect, and at our house it's always a little messy, but it is always wonderful. He restored me and recreated me. I don't even feel like my life is mine. It is his. 
He's asking me to tell the story over and over and over. And this morning was just a small part of it. He wants to, for me to tell this story to people with all levels of faith, to people with no faith, with an entirely different message altogether, to whoever will listen, for his purposes and for reasons I do not understand, to people I do not know. He said yes to me, and I am saying yes to him for whatever it takes, for as long as it takes. My oldest son, Mitchell, asked me a question several years ago, and it was, Mom, if you could go back and get your legs back, would you? No. I told him, no, I wouldn't, because I would have missed everything, everything I learned about the character of God. I would have missed all of that, and I wouldn't want to because it is beautiful. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your mercy and your love and compassion. I pray this morning that everyone in this room can feel you stirring their heart. That they, for them to know, God, that they can turn toward you and they can trust you with everything that they have. And if they trust you, you can bless it and turn it into something new and something that they didn't imagine. Lord, I just ask for you to collect all those tears in the room, Lord, that people cry behind closed doors. And I just ask that they feel your peace and your comfort and they know you, Lord. That they know you, even if they're a Christian, Lord, that they can learn to know you in a new way. Jesus, it is in your name I pray these words. Amen.